0: And go ahead and stay, see it. If you are a kid, go ahead and leave out the side door with Miss Joy. Then, Pastor Dustin, it's your turn. If you've got your Bible, open up to Jeremiah 38 excuse me, while I pull my pulpit over. Oh, thank you, Paul. Oh, servant leadership. This is what I'm talking about. Thanks, guys. Uh, Welcome to Jacksonville Press. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first Sunday, we are into uh, the Old Testament right now in a series called Whole, where we're going through every book in the Old Testament, one book per week. And this morning, we are into the book of Jeremiah. So I'm excited that you are here this morning, and uh, it's going to be a little different. So just, you know, relax and let's dive in. Uh, look with me at Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 1 through 13. Jeremiah chapter 38, 1 through 13. Uh, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us. Now, shephatiah the son of Matin, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Melkiah heard the words the Jeremiah was saying to all the people, Thus says the Lord, He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes out to the Babylonians shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the officials said to the king, Let this man be put to death. For he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he's in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in this cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. When Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, "'My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern, and he will die there of hunger. For there is no bread left in the city.' Then the king commanded ebed the Ethiopian, Take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So ebed took the men with him and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe in the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn-out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then ebed the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Put the rags and clothes between your armpits and in the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that we would learn from the prophet Jeremiah And, Lord, that you would grant us by your Son, Jesus the Messiah, hope and endurance for the days to come. In your name we pray. Amen. I have tried for years, for years, to get my people to see two things. The holiness of God and also the love of God. And he's got both in spades and both stretch out into eternity Uh, But only when people see both of those things, the holiness and the love, do they actually see God for who he truly is. Uh, It's just like when I teach the kids at temple, when we, you know, memorize Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but who will by no means clear the guilty. I teach the kids that to see God for who he truly is, (laughs) they've got to see purple. (laughs) That is, they've got to see his love and his holiness, his kindness and his severity. Mm, They don't get it. Uh, And if they get it, they don't like it. But I try to help them see the beauty in it. So, in my Torah lessons, I ask them to tell me what color the king's robes are? You know, they, they all know the king wears purple, the color of royalty. Now, we've all seen King Zedekiah you know, throughout the years consulting with his advisors in the Benjamin Gate. And so I asked the kids in lessons, what color does the king wear? And they know what the answer is. The king wears purple. But then I asked them, how does the king get his robes purple? And so in my lessons, I take out a bit of red dye and a bit of blue dye, and then I mix them together in front of the kids so that they can see purple. I even make them do it on their own. I give them some of the red and the blue dye, and I make them mix them together so they can see something that's truly royal. Friends, so it is with God. If we want to see Him for who He truly is, I tell them we need to see the red and the blue, God's holiness and God's grace, and then, you know, mix them together. So right at the heart, they see purple. And friends, now more than ever, with the Babylonians on the brink of destroying our city and exiling us, I need my people to know who God truly is now more than ever. But honestly, (laughs) trying to tell people about these two aspects of God, his holiness and his grace, has been so discouraging. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I have wept too many times to count because my people won't hear me. It seems when I focus on sin, people can't stand me. When I bring up the need for repentance and talk about the failure of our nation, people beat me. When I talk about the mercy and the love of God, you know what people do? (laughs) They get bored. They're nowhere to be found. It's like they presume on God's kindness as their birthright. Of course, God loves us. That's his job, they tell me. Honestly, when I really think about it, I just want to give up sometimes. It's so discouraging And for a long time, I didn't know if I could endure much longer. But in the moment when I most wanted to let go of hope, I forced myself to remember who I was and what God had called me to do with my life. Because telling people who God truly is and how we must live for His glory is the greatest calling on my life. And I know it may sound strange, but I really do believe I was born for this. In fact, I know it. Back when I was a teenager, the word of the Lord came to me. And you know what he said? He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. (laughs) I know how it sounds. But it's true. And honestly, I didn't know what to do. So I told God, I said, oh, Lord God, I don't know how to speak in front of people. After all, I was just a kid. But then God told me something I would never forget. He said to me, don't just say you're a youth. And don't be afraid, for I will always be with you to deliver you. And then God did the strangest thing. He reached out and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words into your mouth. I had no idea what that meant, but I soon found out. It meant for the rest of my life, I was to be a prophet. God's Holy Spirit was upon me in a unique way, and I was to proclaim God's message to the world. I was to call out the nations for their sins and to call them to repentance, and at the same time, I was to warn God's people that if we didn't repent of our wickedness, God was going to exile us to Babylon. And, of course, as a prophet, I was called to, you know, predict what God was going to do in the future, like how he was going to one day make a new covenant and how one day he would send the Messiah to heal us all. Uh, I was quite simply a prophet to tell the world of God's grace and his severity. And at first, I've got to be honest, I really thought it was going to work. I hoped people would respond But eventually, they just shut me out. They refused to listen to me, and if they did listen to me, they just started to argue with me, told me I wasn't thinking of the good of the nation. They told me that I was a discourager, not an encourager, that if God did have a prophet, he would be telling the people of hope and victory, not the need for repentance. But God had told me terrible news. God told me that he was using the Babylonians as judgment on us, his people. We, we were in denial. But how could God not punish evil? You know what I told them? I told them, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk it and you will find rest for your souls. (laughs) But you know what they told me? You know what they told me? They told me, we will not walk in it. So eventually, after years of this, there finally came a point in my message where it became a message of strategic surrender. (laughs) I told them to give up, to surrender to the Babylonians, that if they did, they would have their life as a prize of war. You know, although humiliating this strategy would at least allow them to keep their lives, I know, I know, that's an awful message to have to deliver. I really had to cling to the hope that God really had called me to be his prophet. Or else, I would have been tempted to just quit out of discouragement. Or worse, I would be tempted to lie to God's people. But God told me to speak to the people that they should surrender and admit their sin. But God also told me to promise them that in that humiliation, they could see salvation, even in God's message of judgment that the Babylonians were going to win. God was extending hope that if we repented, Israel could return to the land after only 70 years. Friends, you see, even in that heavy message, I was not just showing God's people red or just blue. I was showing them both. I was showing them purple. (laughs) In God's judgment was also his incredible kindness, his eagerness to forgive and to redeem. But they just couldn't see it. God was offering them grace, a way of escape, for anyone who would humble themselves and admit how bad things were. And even in utter defeat to the Babylonians, they could still go to Babylon and live and make gardens and have kids. They could go to Babylon with hope. Because even as exiles in this world, they could sow the seeds of repentance and faith and trust that one day God would bring us back. I told them if they do go to Babylon and learn repentance, God would bring us back to the promised land where we could await the coming of the Messiah and the new covenant. But instead of listening to me, you know what they did? They threw me down a muddy pit to die a miserable death. I don't really like talking about it, but I need you to know that story. Because I need you to know how I regained my hope and endurance. Because it was that hope and endurance That kept me going for the rest of my life. That kept me going even after the exile and even after I was kidnapped. Because my time down in that pit and how God delivered me taught me more about hope and endurance than anything else did in my entire life. (laughs) Isn't it funny how hardship is often the best educator? May Israel listen to her teacher. But now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever actually told you that story, how I was thrown down into a pit and left for dead. Do you know that story? Well, first let me explain how I ended up in the pit. It was right before the king of Babylon destroyed our city and exiled most of our people. Uh, You know, our our king at the time, Zedekiah, God bless him, he was in denial. The king was surrounded by guys who just told him what he wanted to hear. You know, funny how you and I, we often want the same thing. (laughs) Uh, But friend, may God save you from ever buffering yourself off from hearing God's word. Because I know we don't always want to hear God's truth, but friend, remember God's truth is always good. (laughs) It's always beautiful. God's truth is never just red or blue. It's always purple. It's full of truth and grace. It's painful, yes, but it's healing. The king, though, he wouldn't hear God's voice. I even had a friend, if you could call him that, uh, a guy who's a prophet, if you could call him that. uh, His name was Hananiah. And Hananiah wanted to tell the king and the people what they wanted to hear. Uh, He wanted to be the encourager, not the discourager. And so Hananiah so desperately wanted to give the people good news that he ignored the truth and just started making stuff up. He said that it was all going to be okay, that God wouldn't let this get too out of hand, that this too shall pass. You know, stuff that the king wanted to hear to avoid the real problem. I even think Hananiah got to a point where he believed that message himself. But God knows I wished he was right, but deep down I knew that he wasn't. I can't tell you how much I wanted to agree with Hananiah. I wish he was right, that I could just go along with his lie. Do you know that feeling? Wanting so badly to change God's message that you're tempted to join in with people who twist God's word, even when you know it's a lie. Well, I was tempted to tell people what they wanted to hear, to change God's message, you know, to make it more blue, less purple. But... I was a prophet. Long ago, God had reached out and touched my mouth, and I was to speak his words, not mine. I may have wanted Hananiah to be right, but even more profoundly, friend, I wanted to be right before God. So I held to my convictions and to God's word. And you know what? Pretty soon, God decreed that Hananiah, that false prophet, would die. (laughs) Guess who got to tell him that cheery news? But even with Hananiah gone, men kept finding their way into power and telling the king what he wanted to hear. Uh, Four guys in particular, Shephatiah, Gedaliah, Jukal, and Pasher, those four guys went to the king and accused me of working against Israel, and they demanded that I be put to death. And apparently, a quick death wasn't good enough in their eyes. You know, they wanted me to suffer. So they decided to throw me down a deep pit to die in my misery. But actually, it was even more cruel than that because they didn't throw me technically. They let me down by ropes so that I would survive the fall and so that I could spend the last days of my life in mud and darkness with no food or water. And what exactly was my crime? They said that I was weakening the hands of the soldiers, that I wasn't for the country, They said that I was a traitor and working against the welfare of God's people. And that was probably the one that hurt the most. Working against God's people? Why had I wept so much, endured so much, if it weren't out of love for God and His people? How could these men say that I was working against our country when I was speaking up for God? God's message at the time just didn't line up with their political goals I suppose oh friend may God give you endurance especially when you stand for God and people tell you you're on the wrong side of their politics and so there I was the prophet in the pit (laughs) I thought I had been called by God But as I wallowed in that dark, wretched pit, I wondered what it was all for if I had made any difference. And I was so discouraged, a life dedicated to ministering to God's people. And here I was. If God had called me to this work, why would he abandon me? Well, down in the dark of that pit, all I could do, all I could do was remember the promises that God had made me. Had I misunderstood? No, no way. God had called me to preach this message. There was no doubt about it in my mind. God promised that he would never leave my side, that his spirit would be with me to deliver me. Uh, In that pit, I, I sat there and I thought back to my childhood, back to when God told me that I would be a prophet to the nations, back to when the Lord's hand reached out and had touched my mouth and I saw him. I thought back to when God promised that one day the Messiah, the branch, the descendant of King David would come. Back to when he promised there was a day that we would know that our righteousness is not in our good works, but that the Lord is our righteousness. Down in that pit all alone, I thought back to when God promised me that one day there would be a new covenant. Unlike the covenant that he had made with Moses, a new covenant where God's law would not be written on stone, but written on our hearts. And even better, that one day God would wipe away all of our sins. Friend, I dreamed. I dreamed in that pit. If only I could travel back to the moment when the Lord had met me and had reached out his hand and touched me. If I could go back to that moment, I would look God in the eye and say, who, Lord, will the Messiah be? When will he come? What will this new covenant be like? (laughs) After all that we've done, are you really going to wipe all of our sins away? Friends, I had questions, (laughs) so many questions, but I was a prophet in a pit. I wanted to believe that God was in the pit with me, but what I didn't know was that the same God who was in the pit with me was also the same God who was still on the throne outside of the pit working on my behalf. I may have been God's prophet, but God was raising up a partner who would get me out of there The same God who is at work in me was at work in another man's heart, and he was a man that I never saw coming. His name was Ebed-Melech, which means servant of the king. (laughs) And he was Ethiopian, and he was a eunuch. Ebed-Melech, this Ethiopian man, put his own life on the line and argued on my behalf in front of the king and in front of everybody at the Benjamin Gate, And he got the king to release me. I had no idea that I had a partner in God's work in Ethiopia, (laughs) but I did. Even thinking about it now, it brings a smile to my face. Surely God is faithful to his word that one day people from every nation and tribe and tongue would know him in truth and worship him alone. And here was God (laughs) saving and using this Ethiopian eunuch, this servant of the king, to save me. And you know how Abed Melech did it? Uh, He took some men and he walked right into the king's own wardrobe. (laughs) He grabbed some of the king's own clothes and tied them together with a rope and he tossed them down into the pit like a makeshift pulley. And I put them under my armpits and they pulled me up out of the pit and into the sunshine. (laughs) I'll never forget coughing and laughing and crying as I came out of that pit. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was out of the pit and staring into the eyes of an Ethiopian man, a partner in God's mission. I realized then that as lonely as serving God may seem, even prophets have partners. And no one is ever truly alone when they stand for God. Even when we can't see them, God gives us partners in ministry At work in the sunlight while we sit in the dark. And although I was called to be a prophet to the nations, it wasn't lost on me that here was a man from the nations being my deliverer. Friends, even now, even now, God continues to surprise me with hope and endurance. If only I could live forever and see the day of this new covenant. I wonder what God has planned for his people and for the nations, for Ethiopian eunuchs, like this man. May people from every nation truly see God and His holiness and His grace. And both of those stretched out for eternity. But as I sat there on the ground that day and I looked into the eyes of Eben Melech, I realized something. I looked down at the rags and the worn-out clothes that he had used to save me, and they were covered in mud. But you know what color they were? They were purple, from the king's own wardrobe. And then I looked back at the eunuch, my surprising partner in ministry, and I said, what's your name? And he said, ebed Melek. And I started to laugh for joy. He truly was a servant of the king. Friend, I, I tell you this story because I need you to know that God never abandons those whom he has called. Our message may be bitter to some, but it's never just blue. And it may be revolting to some, but it's never just red. It's purple, like the robes that pulled me out of the pit that day. Because God is full of grace and truth. And both of those stretch out for eternity. And friends, that is our hope. And the power of our endurance, it is nothing less than God's own goodness and character. I pray that you hold on to that hope. And friend, if you are in a pit, remember that God sent you a surprising friend, a partner, one who humbled himself to the point of death, who took the form of a servant, and who sticks closer than a brother. And friend, if you confess him as Lord and Messiah, you too will stretch out for eternity, beholding God's goodness and his justice. Because as you well know, Messiah did come, and so did the new covenant. God entered our world as Messiah Jesus, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Although Jesus never sinned, but don't forget, friend, he was God's prophet, and at the end of his life, he was falsely accused, as I was. And he went down into his own pit, as I did. And he needed no man to pull him out because he has the power of an indestructible life. And friends, his purple robe was stained, but not with mud, but with his blood. And Christ Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. And why did Messiah have to die? So that he could take the punishment of our sins. And wipe away our sins with his blood. And at the same time, give us his righteousness. By faith in him, we have perfection and good standing and complete acceptance before a holy and just God by faith. Friends, this is the new covenant in his blood. Friends, this is for all people, whether we are Jewish or Gentile or an Ethiopian eunuch, like my friend, ebed Melik. Friends, I realize now that I've gone on this long that I have failed to actually introduce myself or tell you what my name is. Uh, You know, the night that I got out of that pit, as I collapsed in bed in the court of the guard, it came to me clear as a bell. Just as Ebed-Melech's name made perfect sense to me, so did my name now make perfect sense. Because my name means God will raise In that day, God did raise me, the prophet in the pit, through the work of a surprising partner. You may know my name as Jeremiah. I'm God's prophet, but I'm not in a pit anymore. Friends, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you pick us up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. Jesus, we praise you that you went to the pit for us. And by the power of your indestructible life, we can live forever with you. Uh, Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters right now in their positions of influence, uh, in their spheres of influence, in their family, in their workplaces, in their homes. Lord, I pray for our teenagers and our children. Uh, Lord, that we would have hope and endurance as we suffer for you, but know that we stand perfect and righteous through your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, would you lift up our faces? and strengthen our drooping knees. Our Father, would you be with us when we have the power of the new covenant with us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.